0: follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
2: Back to the program. This is the last hour of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You're listening to episode... Eleven, And I'm grateful to you for doing so. We uh, Let me give you a little background on how this show gets put together. Uh, I, I work very closely with producer Amy. Uh, she and I, each day, are always combing through the headlines and the different stories. We're, we're tapping into different sources we have. I, I trade text messages with a, a lot of uh, staffers and friends back in Washington, D.C. and here on Utah's Capitol Hill and in the business community. And we take all of that. We, we try to get all of it in here uh, into our office. And we go back and forth. We debate and we decide on a, a lineup of topics, a thing, a list of things that we feel uh, will be important to talk about here on the program. And uh, a number of weeks ago, I saw a headline in a, a publication uh, that you typically caters to like the Washington, D.C. types, the staffer types called The Hill. Uh, and the headline reads: More than 500 law professors sign letter calling Trump actions impeachable. Now, the the date of this uh, of this article is early December, so this is before the impeachment. When I saw that headline, I I sent it in an email over to Professor Amy, and I said, uh, Professor Amy, uh, producer Amy, uh, you may have just been promoted promoted to professor. You like that? Yeah. Alright, very good. Uh, so we'll call our professor, <laughs> Professor Amy. And I said, Amy, would you mind, would you go through, and I know it's a, a big long list of folks who have signed their name to that. But would you see if there is anyone from, uh, say the, the law school at the University of Utah or maybe at the J. Rubin Clark School of, of Law at Brigham Young University? Would you see if there's any, if there's anyone locally who has signed this letter? And uh, and she combed through very digil- diligently and did, in fact, uh, find uh, that a Professor Frederick Eddicks uh, from the J. Rubin Clark School of Law down at Brigham Young University, uh, in fact, did sign uh, this letter. Now, again, this is before impeachment. The letter makes a, a case for, uh, uh, for impeachment and uh, outlines some reasons why uh, that's an okay course of action and that, if nothing else, the House is certainly uh, within its authority and power uh, to move forward with these articles. Well, uh, Professor Professor Frederick Gettix joins us on the line now. Professor, sir, I'm grateful to you. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm happy to be here. Now, uh, did, did I describe things accurately? There is a, a letter you joined uh, with hundreds of other legal scholars uh, making the case uh, for why President Trump had engaged in impeachable conduct. Is that accurate? Yes, yes, it is. I, I signed it. Would you, would you do me a favor and very basically uh, talk to us about the spirit of this letter and some of the arguments made within it?
1: Well, I, I think it basically anticipates the two articles of impeachment that the uh, House eventually uh, approved, uh, and that is that President Trump abused his office, the powers of his office, by using, uh, using those powers uh, for personal political gain, uh, which uh, contradicted the interests of the United States. And then secondly, um, while consistently deriding uh, the strength of the evidence, he refused to release documents or allow officials to testify. Uh, if the evidence was weak, if he hadn't done anything, then presumably the documents and the testimony would have
2: exonerated him. And that speaks to the second article, The Obstruction of Congress. Yes. L- l- let me just, for clarity, take one step backwards. You, sir, uh, are speaking to us just uh, on your, you're not representing the university or the law school or anything like that?
1: No, of course not. I'm uh, uh, I'm speaking in my own personal capacity.
2: Very good. I just want to make that very, very, very clear. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Also, how... how How is it that you came to be aware of this letter? Did someone ask if you were willing to sign? Is there like a listserv that goes around? How would you come to get your name on this letter?
1: Gee, you know, I don't recall. Um, I am acquainted with the author of the letter, and I believe that um, he or friends of his may have forwarded it to me. I don't recall precisely how I came across it. I mean, it's... The the law profession is like any other. There are lots of sets of loosely affiliated uh, groups, and uh, uh, I fell into one of those circles, I guess.
2: Very good. Let me read to you uh, just a last paragraph uh, from, from your letter and ask you to just respond to that and talk a little bit more about it. Ultimately, it reads the letter, Ultimately, whether to impeach the president and remove him from office depends on judgments that the Constitution leaves to Congress. But... If the House of Representatives impeached the president for the conduct described here and the Senate voted to remove him, they would be acting well within their constitutional powers. Whether President Trump's conduct is classified as bribery, as a high crime or misdemeanor, or as both, it is clearly impeachable under our Constitution. Now, we have in the past few months become, at least in the public, we, we feel now uh, we are impeachment experts. We know all of the the ways that this works, uh, and I think that Speaker Pelosi is right now teaching us that uh, uh, it's maybe not exactly as we understand it. There are two very distinct things that happen in Congress uh, when questions of impeachment uh, arise, or specifically when articles are drafted. Uh, there is the House, which impeaches, and then there would be the Senate, uh, which would convict and remove from office. You, sir, I think it's very clear, Communicate in this letter that you feel that impeachment is warranted, and that's happened since you signed this letter, the House has voted the president is is impeached. Donald J Trump is an impeached president currently. If you were to and I'm sorry to uh, speak to you in hypotheticals if a similar letter uh, were be were to be written specifically speaking to what could take place in the Senate, what do you think would be warranted
1: well <laughs> that's uh well. I think what ought to happen, uh, we don't have, as we've had in past impeachments, that is with respect to President Clinton and with respect to President Nixon, we don't have uh, an investigation of a special counsel with uh, the power of subpoena. and um, And so the the House had to do the investigation itself, and of course, as as I've mentioned, it as and as one of the articles of impeachment states, the president uh, blocked all efforts to obtain evidence uh, that was within his control. I think the Senate ought to call witnesses. Um, they ought to call um, the officials uh, in the White House, in the Office of Management and Budget, in the Defense Department, and elsewhere who were directly involved. And to whom, apparently, if uh, the news stories today are accurate, uh, uh, whom President Trump directly ordered to withhold the aid. And, of course, the Republicans are entitled to call their witnesses as well.
2: Our guest this segment is Professor Frederick Geddes. He is the Guy Anderson Chair and Professor of Law at the J. Ruben Clark School, uh, or the J. Ruben Clark Law School at Brigham Young University. Speaking to us today on his own, not representing the the university or the law school, uh, he, about a month ago, signed his name to a letter along with hundreds of other legal scholars uh, concluding that President Trump, in fact, had engaged in impeachable conduct. We're speaking in our last few moments here. Uh, Sir, you we've learned, too, that uh, we thought it was a foregone conclusion that articles would be remitted over to the Senate and that this trial could begin, that these witnesses could be called. Now we've witnessed Speaker Pelosi make the decision to hold on to them. And I'm not asking you to, to look into her heart and soul uh, and try to divine what what she might be uh, thinking. Uh, but w- what's what's your reaction to, to her having held on to these and not remitting them immediately over to the Senate?
1: Well, I think it's a direct result of uh, Majority Leader McConnell's decision to, um, to abandon all pretense of objectivity or neutrality in judging the Articles of Impeachment and to cooperate, basically, with the defense. And the only leverage that um, Speaker Pelosi has is timing. And so uh, that's what she's trying to do, is trying to affect... Um, trying to influence uh, the Senate and the Senate majority leaders decision on how the trial will be conducted by withholding the articles of impeachment and therefore influencing the timing of the trial.
2: I see. It makes sense. It is one of many theories that makes uh, makes a lot of sense, and at the same time, uh, leaving me scratching my head. So there's a lot of history uh, unfolding before us, uh, Professor. I'm grateful to you for joining us. Uh, thank you for doing so. And as this proceeds, if you have other thoughts that you'd like to share with us, please, uh, you know, uh, Professor uh, Professor Amy, <laughs> producer Amy's number. <laughs> she may have been promoted. Uh, please give us a call, and uh, and you and I can chat about it again here on the program. Is that fair?
1: Well, thanks very much for
2: having me on your show. All right. I'm grateful to you. Uh, our guest, Professor Frederick Geddix uh, from the law school down at BYU. Next up, we're talking tax reform. You remember uh, a special session? A super special session happened uh, a short while ago. Uh, a vote was cast. A piece of legislation uh, made its way through. And there are a group of folks who are trying to undo that. Uh, some folks think it's a bad idea, including my next guest, uh, Rusty Cannon. Cool name. Vice President of the Utah Taxpayer Association. Going to be here in studio with me. Live uh, on KSL News Radio.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport.
2: There's desperation and anguish.
0: More than eighty thousand Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin, and in my new podcast "Stranger Becomes Neighbor" we will find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors?